Well, good morning again. It is wonderful to be here this morning in the house of the Lord as we continue our series entitled The Psalms for the Christian Life. This morning we'll be looking at Psalm 122 together. It's been said many times already throughout this series that the Psalms of the Bible are unique and that they're not only words from God, but they are words to God. They're given to his people for prayer and petition and praise throughout the Christian life. They teach us how to pray and sing to God in all of life's various circumstances, in our trials and triumphs, in times of gladness, in times of sorrow, in times of plenty, and in times of want, in the deepest valleys and on the highest mountaintops. Psalm 122 in particular is set in a series of 15 psalms from 120 to 134 that are called the Songs of Ascents. These Songs of Ascents, these going up psalms, come from a variety of times and places in ancient Israel. But the message of the whole is this, that Jerusalem is the place for the coming together of God's people, for celebrations and commemorations, and to acknowledge the immeasurable goodness of God toward his people. Psalm 122 is the third of these songs of ascents, the third entry in this pilgrim's journal on his way to Jerusalem. Taken with the first two entries, we follow a progression from the pilgrim being far off from the holy city in Psalm 120 to his journey in Psalm 121. Psalm 121 is a pilgrim hymn of thanksgiving sung by the psalm singer on the approach to Jerusalem. The hills of Jerusalem are in view and God guides and helps the singer's feet and it reassures the pilgrim along his dangerous journey. Then in Psalm 122, he's finally arrived inside the city gates where he beholds Jerusalem's beauty and glory and, where, and, where, and that's where we find ourselves this morning. But before we read Psalm 122 together, would you go with me to God in prayer to ask for his help to hear his word this morning? Our Father and our God, We give you thanks for the great love that you have for us through Jesus Christ and that you have poured into our hearts by your Holy Spirit. We thank you for the good news of the gospel this morning that you have revealed to us in your word. We know that your word is living and it has the power to change us. And so we ask that by the power of your spirit, you will soften the hardness of our hearts, open our ears and our eyes, that we may hear what you teach and delight in your ways. In Jesus' glorious name, amen. Would you prepare your hearts with me to hear God's holy word this morning from the 122nd Psalm. This is God's word for us this morning. It is trustworthy and true, and he gives it to us in love. A song of ascents of David. I was glad when they said to me, Let us go to the house of the Lord. 
Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. There thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. And for the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, as I said before, back in Psalm 120, we hear the lament of one who is far from the holy city and is surrounded by falsehood, deceitful, deceitfulness, and haters of well-being. It expresses the distress caused by the deceit and strife in the land of exile. You see, ever since the fall, since mankind was exiled from the Garden of Eden for rebelling against God, the sons of Adam and the daughters of Eve have suffered the brokenness of a world tainted by sin and death. Psalm 120 helped us to feel the misery of living in a broken world, a fallen world in which we ourselves are a part of the problem. It's our own deceitful hearts that have been at war with God that have severed our communion with him and have destroyed peace. And even as we read the distress of the psalmist in 120, we ought to consider that in God's providence, Experiences of such conflict may be the early challenges of the Christian life that make pilgrims out of us. They can detach us from hope in this world and drive us nearer to Christ who suffered at the hands of his brethren, lived and died under persecution far more unjust than we could imagine. When we struggle with conflict and even endure criticism, those struggles may be used by the sovereign Lord to bring us into closer communion with Christ, causing us to cry out to the Lord as the psalmist does here. And so surrounded by deceit and war on every side, back in Psalm 120, the psalmist cried out in despair, deliver me, O Lord. And then with the psalmist, we too can turn our eyes to the Lord, toward the holy city, toward the house of the Lord, and he in his mercy calls us to himself. With the psalmist, we can have a growing confidence with our constant hope, which is that he heard me. And so turning now to our text this morning in Psalm 122, I want us to observe Three things, three points from the text. The call to a people, the building of a people, and the peace for a people. Would you look at verses one and two with me? I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. A couple of weeks ago, I received a call from a number I didn't recognize. I ignored the call, as we all do now. 
with unknown numbers. But then I received a text message that said, congratulations, you are the winner of our Nashville Soccer Club ticket contest this week. So I confirmed my email address with the sender and soon received an email that contained two front row center field all access passes to the goalpost club with all you can eat food and drink, more than $600 package for free. Now you can imagine my excitement and unbelief at the opportunity, the anticipation that built over the next couple of days as the game approached. There was a brief thunderstorm scare, but then the clouds parted. A buddy and I hopped in an Uber and made our way to the great city of Geodas Park. We went through the gates, we made our way to one usher and then to another, all the way down to row A. Nothing was separating us from the field but a small corded fence. It felt like we were sitting right on the field. Hani Mukhtar, the Na Nashville's star midfielder, passed by five feet in front of me. I turned to my friend and I threw up a high five and I exclaimed, can you believe it? Can you believe that we're here? We were filled with gladness and excitement from the moment that we received the invitation and that gladness never faded as we planted our feet just yards away from the pitch and watched Nashville defeat DC United. But as glorious as that moment felt, not even a millionth of a fraction as glorious as gathering in God's presence with God's people to worship. How many of us have such an experience of gladness, of rejoicing, at the prospect of coming to the house of the Lord each week to worship with God's people? Do we experience such gladness when we set out to gather with God's people each Sunday as we have this morning? To all of you young saints out there, when the alarm clock goes off on Sunday morning, when mom or dad calls you to get dressed and hop into the van to make the trip to church, are you glad? Now, I've experienced at Trinity people who love to worship the Lord. But for some, that gladness, that joy may wane from time to time. We may be prone to grow complacent or even feel burdened by the task of Sunday worship. But the psalmist here says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Why so glad? Why is it that the psalmist is overjoyed at having arrived in this holy city? Well, he was glad because having been in a place of despair, he would soon arrive at the temple where sinners could come close to the living God without being burnt alive because their sins would be covered by sacrifices and forgiveness could be found. It was the place where priests who offered the sacrifices functioned as mediators between a sinful people and a holy God. He was struck with awe and wonder because the holy and transcendent God had become personal and had invited him, had called him this wandering pilgrim into his presence.
And after having been driven to despair, having journeyed from a far place, he had finally arrived in the presence of Almighty God. And so he exclaims, how amazing, how deeply wonderful. I'm in Jerusalem now. Christian, hear this. The awe and wonder that an Old Testament believer would feel about the temple, about the holy city of Jerusalem, translates into our own awe and wonder about Jesus. Every sensation of relieved joy felt by this believer in Psalm 122 can be amplified in your heart and in mine as we meditate on sins forgiven by the sacrifice of Jesus and access into the very presence of God the Father through the high priestly mediation of Christ. Our feet have been standing in the gates of Jerusalem. Paul uses this language of standing when he speaks of our standing in the grace of God. He says this in Romans 5, 2, that we who used to stand in a terrible place under judgment, now we stand in a new place, a new sphere, in the grace of God. The joy of worship, the gladness that this pilgrim feels is the recognition of one thing and one thing alone, and that is God's grace through Jesus Christ, by which even this morning he says, I am so glad that you are here. I am so glad that you're in my house. The shocking reality that the people like you and like me the people like hard-hearted Israelites who got it wrong time and time again, the majesty that by the grace of God, we would be for a moment welcomed and accepted into God's presence. That's grace so powerful and wonderful and awesome that a hundred million years into eternity, we will still be working to understand it. There is this moment of beholding wonder, the majesty of God's grace, the first time that we answer his call and come to Jesus. And that same wonder should fill our hearts every time we gather with the people of God in worship. And even though we continue to walk as pilgrims in this fallen world, though we face illness and tragedy, though we look in every direction and see heartache and destruction, in this broken world, though we ourselves continue to wrestle with the disappointment of our own not yet fully sanctified hearts, you and I can stand in the midst of all those experiences brimming with joy and say, I'm redeemed. Praise be to God who has rescued me and now invites me, calls me to stand in his very presence in Jerusalem, in his very house, with his people. Even in the saddest moments, we have a deep and abiding joy because we can say with David, I am standing in the gates of Jerusalem. And when we can't seem to muster up such gladness on our own, God's given us his church, one to another, our fellow pilgrims, 
to encourage us along the way. In these verses, there's an interplay between I, the individual, and they, the surrounding pilgrim people, the church. We encourage one another to come to this place and to belong to this people. And as he calls us, and as we continue to gather into his gates, he is building us up for himself. He's building a people. Would you look with me at at verses 3 through 5? It says, Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. There, thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Now, as David moves further into Jerusalem, he begins to look around and to see what the city is made of. It's bound firmly together. It's a place where God's people offer him praise and right worship. It's a place of righteousness and justice. He writes of his experiences of the people and of God's kingdom. Now, it's important to note here that the image that the psalmist portrays is not the historical Jerusalem. The Israelites, of course, shared with the rest of humanity a natural propensity to rebellion and rivalry and strife and war. But what's envisioned by the psalmist is the people of God coming together under God's law and God's king. The 12 tribes of Jacob who had been at odds with one another for much of Old Testament history are going up together. And what brings them together is a shared fear and worship of the one true God. In the days of the old covenant, when the temple stood there and God's presence dwelled within it, Jerusalem was the most important place on earth. This is where God's feet touched earth, where sinners could have some sort of access to God by sacrifice and where God's king ruled over God's people. But now this has all been fulfilled And our Lord, Jesus Christ, who is in every way the fulfillment of what the temple foreshadowed. He's the one greater than the temple, the great high priest, the perfect sacrifice for sins, the king in David's line. Both when he walked on earth and now in his presence with his church and by his spirit, he is Jerusalem. The promised Jerusalem, Jerusalem and its redemptive significance is no longer a place on a map. It's fulfilled in Jesus, partially seen in his local church and to be consummated when the perfected church of Christ dwells in the new Jerusalem, which will fill the new creation. This is the place where David's anointed king, the Messiah, rules all the people of God in harmony and security. And as 1 Peter 2 reveals, through Christ, we are being built into that place. We're being built as, a living, as living stones upon the cornerstone, which is Jesus as the dwelling place of the Lord. 1 Peter 2, 4 through 5 says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, 
You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Peter says that we're coming to Jesus, who is the cornerstone of the house of God, the people of God as his church. And as the cornerstone, Jesus is the crucial support of the church's foundation. The whole building is held up by him. And if you were to take him out of the building, the whole thing would collapse. We're called to come to him and to rest our faith on him alone. And yet, when we come, we're joined to him and to one another as living stones and built up into God's holy temple, the house of the Lord. Coming to Christ entails being incorporated into the church, and we can't love Christ without also loving his church. One evidence of saving faith is that we gather with other believers for worship and to serve one another. The youth learned this past Wednesday from Romans 12 that every member of the church is given gifts that are all needed to build up the body. And God gives every single gift for the edification of his church and for his service and for his glory. If you're here this morning and you're not a member of a local Bible-believing church, it's time to join one. And if you are a member here at Trinity or at another church, your gifts and your service are so needed in your local body. Furthermore, the psalmist says that the people are giving thanks to the Lord as was decreed for Israel. This is a reference to Deuteronomy where it was decreed that the Lord's name would dwell among those whom he had made to be his people. He's the Lord, our God, who led us out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He's freed us from the tyranny of sin and death, and now we are being built into the house of the Lord. So we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart and mind and strength. We're to acknowledge that everything we have and everything we are belongs to God and to give him glory. And finally, in the city, the thrones of the house of David symbolize justice and equity among the people of Israel. God's people are gathered under God's law and God's king, the Messiah who sits on the throne of David. Now the Jerusalem celebrated in Psalm 122 was not fulfilled in the historic Jerusalem. It was a Jerusalem seen only with the eyes of faith. And it still is. It will not reach its fulfillment until the Lord Jesus Christ who has died and has been raised and ascended to heaven, builds his worldwide church, then returns from heaven to gather together his church to dwell in the perfect heavenly Jerusalem. Then and only then will the perfect presence of God, the flawless security, the boundless harmony, and the glad submission to the rule of God's king be seen for all of eternity. It is that heavenly Jerusalem that we see most clearly anticipated in the language of this psalm. And so now as we journey on in hope for the heavenly Jerusalem, 
the psalmist closes by exhorting us to pray. Verses 6 through 9 say, Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, Peace be with you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. The psalmist exhorts the hearer to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, for peace within her walls and within her towers. Shalom is wished for the city, a state of wholeness where everything works the way it's supposed to work, things the way they were created to be. The peace or well-being, the shalom of Jerusalem, would guarantee the well-being of God's people. But the question for Jerusalem and for us is where does that peace come from? Real peace is only found through our Lord Jesus Christ, who reconciled us to God by his blood. And it is peace with God that gives us peace with one another. It's because all the pilgrims bow down to worship the same one true God, the one who sits on the throne of David, that peace endures. The trouble is that we each have a tendency to worship ourselves, our own selfish pursuits. And when we each worship our own pursuits, when we begin to build our own kingdoms, this leads to conflicting ambitions, to rival gods, to rival worships. That not only sets us at odds with one another, but it sets us at odds with God and threatens peace. And then when the psalmist exclaims, I was glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. We so often respond, David, I don't feel that way. There are times when I find greater joy in the temporary pleasures of this world than the fact that I have been accepted by Christ inside the gates of Jerusalem. There are times when I would rather have a nicer house or a bigger paycheck. There are times when I would rather fill in the blank than go to worship. What kinds of sacrifices are we willing to make for the peace of God's kingdom? For the sake of the house of the Lord our God to seek her good. This is more than a prayer against external foes. It asks above all for concord and peace within, within, within. The prayer seems to be for the city of Jerusalem to live up to its name. This too is a prayer for the church of Jesus Christ to live up to the name that we've been given. Inspired by the vision of verses one through five, we're to pray that it will be realized in the church. We're to pray that it will be increasingly true of our local church. We're to pray that our local church will be a place where God is present in his forgiving grace, where men and women scarred by a dangerous world can find safety in the arms of their Savior. And where divided people see barriers fall as they bow together before the loving authority of Jesus Christ, the King in David's line. Would that be someone's experience when they visit Trinity Presbyterian Church? 
as they look around and survey the lay of the land, would they say, this is what I've been looking for all my life. Wow, at last, this is the peace that my heart craves. There is spiritual reality in this place. What is attractive about the Church of Christ? I'll give you a hint. It's not successful programs. It's not fun youth activities or church potlucks. It's not a beautiful building or an extravagant music program, not even a dynamic preacher. All these things are good gifts to God's people, but it's the gospel proclaimed and lived out in the life of the church that makes the church attractive to true believers. This is what our friends and family so desperately need. For their sake, we need to pray that Trinity and every local church will be a place where they too can find God the Father through Jesus the Son, where they find reconciliation, true peace, with God and with people from who they are estranged, where they too can join with others in bowing gladly to the authority of Jesus the King. And as we pray for this, and as by God's grace, our churches become more and more like this, we will become a house of the Lord where the people will come gladly to praise his name. Just as the old covenant believers were praying for the one who would sit on David's throne, even as the reality of the historic Jerusalem was in many ways the opposite of what it was meant to be, the church so often falls short of our purpose. But just as we pray for the peace of the church, we look forward to the new and consummated Jerusalem. When our Lord returns and restores all things, and when we will hear, as the writer of Hebrews puts it, you have come to the Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festive gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enthroned in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let, thus let us offer to God acceptable worship and reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Would you pray with me? Father, we come before you in awe and wonder of your great grace for us. Father, that while we were still sinners, you loved us so much that you sent your son Jesus to die for us. Father, that there would be no more need for a temple to make sacrifice, for you have made us your dwelling place. Father, would we be so glad to gather with your people to worship you, the one true God. Would you continue to grow in our hearts a longing to be in your presence? And when we continue to be transformed more and more into your people, into your house. In Jesus' name, amen.